This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, your dedicated Star Trek books and comics show here on the Trek FM network. I'm one of your hosts, Dan Gunther, and joining me as he does every week is the wonderful, redoubtable, I don't think he's from the Ymir universe, but I might be wrong, Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how's it going today? I am not from the Mirror Universe. I am from the Prime Timeline. I am a nice person, and I will not use any agonizers on you at all, Dan. Oh, that's good. That's good. There was another Bruce here last week that was very different, so I'm, I'm excited to be back with the Prime Bruce. Oh, wait. I didn't tell you about that, did I? There was a recording last week that I missed? No, you were here. Uh, okay, that's weird. Oh. All right. Well, we'll 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 discuss this later. Oh my <laughs> gosh. There's a mere me running around somewhere. <laughs> well, as you listeners may have guessed, we are going to be talking a lot about the mirror universe in this episode. And uh yeah, we've kind of got a mirror universe comics extravaganza episode for you today. Uh, because later on in the feature, we're going to be talking about the new Star Trek The Next Generation comic miniseries, and that's called Through the Mirror. And that's a five-issue uh, five arc that has come out over the past month or so. And we're going to talk about all of those issues in today's episode. But before we get to that, we have another Mirror Universe comic that we're going to talk about, and that is... Star Trek Discovery Succession number two. So you may remember in an earlier episode, we talked about issue number one. And this is a miniseries that is set in the Mirror Universe shortly after, mostly shortly after the uh, destruction of the USS Charon and the uh, escape of the USS Discovery into back into the Prime Universe. And I should say the ISS Charon, not the USS Charon. It's very confusing. There's lots of prefixes. I'm going to mess it up a lot, so just get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> ISS, USS, we're all SS. Exactly, exactly. So to start off with, Bruce, what were kind of your initial reactions, thoughts about this issue? I... 
really enjoying the series, even though we've only had two issues. The first one to me was very strong. Uh, because it does take place after the USS Discovery returns back to the Prime Universe in the Discovery series. And so what I like about these issues is we're starting the story where it's perceived that Emperor Giorgio is dead when she's really, of course, transferred to the Prime Universe in the Discovery TV series. So now the universe in the Mirror Universe is without their Emperor, and so her cousin Alexander replaces her. So now we pick up on this issue where we find Burnham, who is, you know, Giorgio's adopted daughter, and she's really the heir to the throne, but they think that Burnham is dead. So Alexander doesn't know that Burnham's out there and could be a threat to the, uh, taking the throne away from him. Yeah, and so Alexander, let's talk a little about, bit about him because he's kind of got this plot going on to eradicate the galaxy of all non-Terrans. He's kind of uh, had his people create this bioweapon that will kill populations en masse and... He definitely seems a little bit unhinged and, you know, kind of the perfect person to lead the Terran Empire, really. I mean, genocidal, maniacal, and uh, being followed by who we know in our universe as Admiral Cornwell. Uh, but here we have the mirror version of Cornwell. And meanwhile, while all of this is going on, Commander Arium who you may know from Discovery as that kind of half-bionic, half-human crew member, has taken control of the Shenzhou. And she kind of has her own mission, her own ambitions that she's pursuing here as well. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot going on here. And I really get the feeling that this series is a story that's been very well planned out and very uh, well arced, you know, through to the end of this series. So in that way, it really feels like discovery because discovery was kind of this plot that went throughout the entire season that was very carefully plotted out. And, you know, we're getting little pieces here and there, but we don't really have the whole story yet. And, but at the same time, all of these dominoes are being set up in a really fascinating manner. I'm really enjoying this story. Me too. And there's a lot just alone in this issue, as you're talking about. I mean, we see Burnham with Harry Mudd. It's the mere Harry Mudd who is helping the, those who are down and out the unfortunate. And he's uh, supplying food and water and supplies to these people who are unfortunate. And, and she's there asking for his help to overthrow Emperor Alexander and he's like, why should I help you? And she's like, it's only going to benefit you in the long run. As if when she becomes emperor, she's going to take care of him and maybe others. And so you've got that aspect of the story. Then you've got what's going on in the palace with Alexander. And then um, then we even visit with, well, on the Shenzhou, we have Captain Arium. And she's now in command of the ship. And so we're seeing her as a captain of of a starship. And at the same time we see Laurel who is, you know, trying to kind of fill the shoes of Dekuvma and Vok and try to, as we saw Vok in discovery in the mirror universe, he's with Tellarites and Andorians and Vulcans and trying to lead them. And now she's got to fill 
his shoes in that capacity. So there's a lot going on with these different aspects. And I'd love to see in the future issues how all these different little storylines are all going to converge together. Yeah, and we do get a little bit of convergence here because Burnham shows up on Kronos and kind of allies herself with Laurel and the rebels there. So we're getting a little bit of like these stories starting to intermingle and we're seeing just sort of a shape of what's to come. And um, meanwhile, we know from earlier in the story that Alexander has decided to target somewhere that's a little bit more Klingon than the other targets that were suggested. So, uh, you know, we get a surprise interesting ending here as well with what Laurel and Burnham are trying to accomplish. And then a really cool um, hint of a ship cameo right at the very end, which I thought was a nice little touch. Uh, a, a ship that you may know from Star Trek history, but the mirror version of it. So yes. that's cool. ISS something or something. We'll leave that as a little mm. surprise. <laughs> NCC something or other. Yeah, something, something, something. <laughs> but yeah, it's but a, probably not the probably not what you think though. I don't know. I don't know. Uh <laughs> you know, actually, well, yeah, I don't want to spoil it. So I'll save it for the next time we get to issue three. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let me just say I'm I'm really interested. We just get a hint of it, so I'm really interested to see the rest of this ship yeah, and all its glory. That's what I'm trying what to they say. Go for without saying yeah. too much. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I have to say I really enjoyed this issue, as I'm sure it's apparent from how I've been talking about it. Uh, the artwork is really great, and the story. I have a feeling, you know, it's one of those things where you see this setup and it's slowly building. And I have a feeling this story is going to be really killer by the end. So I'm really enjoying this and, uh, more so I think even then in the boldly go series or even, uh, the ongoing series, I'm really looking forward to the next issue. I can't wait to see what happens next. I'm with you on that. This is a very strong story and uh, very intense. So I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm like just ready for that next issue, but we have to wait like another month. So, <laughs> oh, well, we'll wait. At least we're getting some discovery yeah. while the series is on hiatus until the next season. Yeah, it's definitely nice to be able to visit that universe, even though uh, the show, like you said, isn't coming back for a little while yet. So it's a, it's a nice little filler here. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Mirror Universe, what do you say we jump over to the feature and welcome a special guest to help us talk about uh, the next chapter of our Mirror Universe Star Trek comic extravaganza episode Ooh, of Literary Trek. Yeah, well, let's flip the page and see who that special guest is. Well, in today's feature, we've got some interesting stuff for you, something we've never done before. We've talked about doing this, but have never tried it before. Instead of reviewing each comic of this series individually in the news segment as they came out, we saved them up to discuss them all in a feature. So I'm talking about the five issues that make up the Next Generation Through the Mirror miniseries of comics. So, and of course, joining us for this is someone we have to have well, thank on you, every Dan, time I appreciate we talk that. about. I'm sorry, I jumped in too quick. Go on, go on, go on. Give of me the course. introduction. Bruce Gibson. Bruce, oh, always you. great to have you. Wait, no, 
no, you threw me off. There's someone else. There's someone else. Who, who am I thinking of here? Shoot. Probably somebody I'm, I'm better looking than me. Now. There's someone else. Someone else who always comes on when we're talking about these mirror universe comics. Mirror Dan? Heck is that again? No. No, no, no. no I killed him. Not rushing? <gasps> Wait a minute. Could it be the one and only amazing Amy Nelson? Hi. <gasps> it is wow. Amy. Yeah. Welcome back. I heard you were doing some TNG comics, so here I am. Like it or not. <laughs> Well, I'm sure I speak for all our listeners when I say we like it. Anything to not have to listen to just me and Bruce, you know, it, it's it's always a pleasure to have you on. We definitely like it. Well, I was <laughs> missing out on my little tidbits, you know, for each episode, but so looking forward to discuss them all, got to read them all, get the whole story all at once. I'm very excited. Great. I don't need to talk. This is great. I can just sit here and listen. <laughs> Well, like I said, we are going to be talking about the Through the Mirror comics, and this is all five issues, like I said. So what do you say we dive in and and start with issue number one? Okay, let's do it. Oh, all right. Okay. You know, I think starting with issue number one is probably smarter than starting with issue number three, Dan. I, You are so brilliant. I'm glad you're in control of everything here right now. Well, I, I see that I had on here that we'd start with, sh with issue three, and I'm glad you kind of made that note that maybe we shouldn't do that. So, Let's yeah, issue it. one it is. Awesome. <laughs> so this is kind of cool. This is kind of, uh, interestingly enough, in continuity with a comic that came out quite a while ago that was covered on Literary Treks as well. And it starts out with war fleeting an away team to the planet Naya 7, which is a Starfleet mining facility. And they meet up with Captain Ochoa and Lieutenant Amato. And they previously, previously appeared in the Star Trek TNG Doctor Who crossover comics, specifically uh, issue number two. Now, this was a, a surprise. Like, I love that they're bringing in that comic because uh, this kind of internal... I don't know. Do we want to say IDW verse of Star Trek? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I have been, I have yet to read the Doctor Who crossover with Star Trek. I still want to do it so badly. I just I haven't got to it. And I almost was going to read it after I read this when I saw it referenced, but I still haven't had a chance to do it yet. And I thought it was really good of them for us newbie readers because it has a little blurb that says you know, as seen in, and I was like, oh, they're giving me a point of reference. And so I'm like, oh, and it says as seen on Star Trek Next Generation and then slash Doctor Who. And I was like, oh, darn it. I thought this was going back to an episode, but it's to a, another <laughs> comic. So I was really excited to have that footnote and, and to see that there's, yeah, bringing in some crossover with that. That was cool. And there were some novels, early, early, early Star Trek novels, a few of them that did that in the novels. It would refer, have a footnote saying which episode something was referring to or even what book it was referring to. Mm -hmm. And I used to think that nice. was pretty cool. They don't do that anymore. It was just a few uh, novels that did that. Yeah. And I have to say, even as someone who read those issues, I'm really glad they did that because I wouldn't have picked up on it otherwise. So, you know, just making reference to this and tying it all in was really cool. 
And just as a, a little side note, I actually read the Next Generation Doctor Who crossover before I had watched any Doctor Who. So oh. I didn't know who Amy or Rory or any of these people were, but I was oh, fascinated. Cool. Yeah, I wouldn't mind reading it again sometime. Maybe Bruce and I should do that. Maybe we can, should get in the TARDIS <laughs> and go back in time and read it like it's fresh and new, even though we know about Doctor Who now. There you go. I like it. Awesome. <laughs> so they're inspecting this facility and it's important due to the valuable resources of minerals and elements on this planet, especially with the recent Wolf 359 attack. So that kind of puts a little pin in where this takes place in the next generation continuity. So we know it's after Wolf 359 and I would say that we can narrow it down to the first half of season four because Wesley is there. So we get kind of a nice little pin as to where it is in Star Trek continuity. So they beam down and they investigate this place. There's been materials going missing and Worf soon sees someone that he thinks may be the culprit. And he thinks this because it's someone who's not supposed to be there. He sees Lieutenant, I think it's Jones. Yeah, Lieutenant Jones from Engineering on the Enterprise is walking around on this base where he has no business being. And on top of all of that, he has a goatee. <gasps> oh, no. Dun, dun, dun. What could that possibly mean? What does that oh, mean? Oh, my gosh, a goatee. <laughs> They say it like three times. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case, you know. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, we, we have the series called Through the Mirror. We know where this is all going. But, you know, they still have to lay the little groundwork here and, and, and set us up for What's it. What's funny is that Worf is the one who discovers this and he, he himself has a goatee <laughs> that if you were going to do a parody of this comic, you could just have Worf being just upset that there's someone else with a goatee. Why does everyone have to have a goatee <laughs> like I do? <laughs> you could have, yeah, Worf, he clearly copied me. <laughs> <you> know? <laughs> awesome. So, of course, as we know, this must be a crossover from the Mirror Universe. This is not the Lieutenant Jones that they know from the Enterprise. And I love it and how they lovingly call him Jonesy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, there's, that's, a, that's an interesting point. There's lots of little touches here that really kind of make this story feel real. I like that um, because it's a five-issue miniseries, they're taking their time to get into the sto story and develop it a bit. And those little touches, I think, make this feel real. Um, I mean, as real as the TV show, which is also not real. But, you know, don't tell Star Trek fans that. I don't know. I'm not making much sense here. But Makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't. I think Amy's still trying to take in the fact that Star Trek's not real life. Yeah. Wait, what? No, 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 no. <laughs> So they they pursue this guy and kind of engage in a firefight. And I'm going to jump to the very end. There's they're they're chasing the guy. There's a firefight. And this Jones, this, you know, alternate Jones and two accomplices make off with a bunch of materials beaming away at the last second. But Worf catches a glimpse of them as they beam away. And we get that shot and they look very familiar. We've got... Of course, Will Riker and Geordi, 
possibly. He's got a different visor and a really killer mustache. But I think it's Jordy. Yeah, it's yeah. Jordy. I remember that visor from Mirror Broken and that mm. awful mustache too. I remember that. Because that that's not that's not working for Jordy, in my opinion. <laughs> it's not a great look. Yeah. No, I don't know. So um, what did you guys think of this first issue and, and kind of bringing us into this story and introducing this plot element once again? I was totally thrown off because the last ones we did was all Mirror Universe. And so then I'm we start reading and it's like Worf and, you know, they're regular doing their survey mission. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is not Mirror. And I was reading and I'm going... Are they having me read something different? Because I just didn't <laughs> understand. I'm like, why? What's going on here? Because this was, you know, prime universe. And then we get the, he's got a mustache or a goatee. And <laughs> so then I was like, oh, something's happening. So I was really thrown off at the beginning um, because I didn't even know where it was going because I thought we were strictly going to stay with the mirror universe from where we got left off. Um, so this was a really nice surprise to see uh, Jonesy with this goatee in. And man, he is that the the shooting scene is amazing. It's like one of my favorite parts, like all the lasers going and and the one where you can see it's totally action. Like you've got Worf in three different stages of the action and avoiding the the laser fire there was amazing amazing that was probably my favorite part of it yeah mm -hmm. i really enjoyed the action too of that and the the way the panels were laid out it had a nice pace to that action of the scene and then when lieutenant jones uh you know starts to shut the big door or whatever and he rolls under it just in time to just block them off and they have to run around a different way to catch up to him a barrel a roll. barrel roll. There you go. That I love that you said that. Uh, so now it's interesting when you're saying about how you were confused at the beginning because you were expecting to start in the mirror universe. I wasn't confused, but there, a similar thing happened to me recently, and we t discussed this on a prior episode. There's the Star Trek Discovery Succession comics, and that first issue started off by saying that. The, this takes place in the mirror universe right after uh, the USS Discovery leaves the mirror universe in the TV series. But yet, when the first panel started, there was Burnham and Lorca from like a year earlier. And it really got confused. I was like, wait, I thought this was starting right afterwards, but this is prior to that. This issue of Through the Mirror starts off by saying space the final frontier these are the voyages of the iss enterprise then you go to the first panel mm -hmm. and you're in the prime universe which i can see would be confusing so idw is doing this thing where they're introducing the setup in the title page but when you start off in the first panel of these two comic series it gets confusing because they're not starting off where they said they're starting off Mm-hmm. yeah no, that's very true. And it, it can get really confusing for sure. Um, yeah, like 
it's it's one of those things where I feel like maybe the person who read that blurb has read the whole comic or something and then gone back and written it and not thought, wait, where do we start out with this? Where do we, you know, where do we leave off rather than, I don't know, something that refers to the whole thing, which doesn't really fit when you just talk about the beginning, the introduction you're giving your reader. Yeah, it almost should say something um, like, you know, the ISS Enterprise, blah, 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 and then... But first, in the Prime Universe, something like that, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be, I think, a much better way to do it. One thing that I wanted to talk about, too, with these is there's there's two stories, first of all, in each book. There's an A story and a B story, and each one of them continues through the five issues. For the A story, which is the one we've just talked about so far, in each issue, it's done by a different artist and they're very different styles over the course of the the five issues i have to say i think starting off here with this one this might be my favorite of all of those i really amy that scene you're talking about with the three wharfs showing his progression across this uh cargo bay basically while he's getting shot at is beautiful and the artists for this one just do action scenes and faces and everything, I have to say, really, really well. What did you guys think of the art on this one? No, I'm with you on that. I, I liked it. I I don't know if it's the favorite of the five as we're going through. I'll be able to have a better idea, but it, I, it would be probably at least one of my top favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so I say, they have, oh, sorry. sorry, I think they have really good action scene, like you said, and like, I like the different perspectives, like when they're, um, oh, like at the beginning, Worf's like, we'll go out and see if there's anything abnormal, and then you have them like in the, the where they're eating, and, and just these different frames of different places, and then like later on, they're trying to cap, uh, chase Jonesy, and then they're in the Arboretum and you see these different frames and, and like it's eyeball view. And then they're, then it's like front on and they're running down the corridor. And so like all these different angles really add to the action of it. And I I did notice that in this episode or this uh, issue. Well, and there was something Mm -hmm. about this that is addressed in issue two, and I'll touch on it when we get to issue two, but I thought it was a little odd that Worf would see Lieutenant Jones or Jonesy with a goatee and I mean, I guess it makes sense for him to be suspicious, but at the same time, how well does he know Jones? Because he's asking the other officers about Jones and you would think in, in some ways in a crowded hallway, he'd say, that guy looks like that one guy on the Enterprise ad, but it's probably not him. He look, you know, he's got a goatee, somebody different, you know, I just think it's interesting <laughs> that he honed in on him. Well, he mm-hmm. is chief of security. He should know everyone who's on board the Enterprise. Yeah, but. That's a good That's a point. lot of people, yeah. though. Your chief of security. <laughs> Look, the chief of security at my office has less people, and believe me, they still probably wouldn't pick me out in a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you know, not to be, you know, whatever, but don't all humans look alike? <laughs> <laughs> You're terrible. <laughs> well, and when was the last time he saw Jonesy? For all he knows, Jonesy just recently grew a goatee. It only takes me like a week to grow mine. So, I mean, Jonesy could be, hmm. you know, I, I don't know. Maybe they just had dinner together the other day. I don't know. Well, uh, I should say that the art for this story, since I talked it up, is by Marcus Tu or Toe. I'm not sure. T-O is his last name. 
And, uh, but the B story is the same artist across all five issues. And that is JK Woodward, whose art we have talked about a lot in previous, uh, episodes, especially with the mirror universe comics, because he did all of the previous mirror universe comics and his artwork style is really distinctive and very unique and interesting. Uh, so how about we take this moment and jump into the B story from this issue as well. And these stories are called ripe for plunder. And this is chapter one of that story. So, uh, just quickly, because these, these are a lot shorter, uh, than the other stories. And this is kind of exploring the history of the mirror universe. These basically take place a few months earlier. It doesn't say exactly how much earlier, but it says months earlier and an alternate universe away. And this is kind of Picard sending data on a mission to research what became of Spock and that whole thing. So what did you guys think of this little introduction to the story here? Yeah, I had really no idea what was going on with this. Um, in part, probably because I still don't understand how to read these comics. So I was like, I was trying to relate what I had just read with the whole Warp and Jonesy story to this. And I definitely recognized the artwork had completely changed. I mean, the styles are, and, and so when I got to this part B, I was like, oh, here's the people that I'm used to seeing, but I, I couldn't make the connection as to what it had to do with the previous story. So I was severely, um, confused reading this part of it. Hmm. Interesting. But it's not surprising to me. I wonder how many people go into this comic series and are confused by that. I think I had the advantage of knowing what to expect because of press releases that came out prior to this. But there's a lot of people that will come into this comic fresh and not know that there's going to be different artists and there's going to be this B story in the back. And a lot of times in these comics, they'll have a preview of a future issue and it almost plays out that way. Once you get to the end of story a, it says to be continued. Then all of a sudden the next page, the art changes and it looks yes. like you're getting a preview of maybe another comic issue. Yeah. But then at the end of it, it does say, um, I think it says to be continued or something to, yeah, to it be does. continued. So yeah. I can see where that would confuse people, but at the same time, I love the fact that we have the story A, which is the, which is the, the main story of these uh, miniseries issues. And then we have this B story as if, you know, we play out a chapter and then we have a flashback into the alternate universe. Then we go back and play out a chapter and then have another flashback. So I love it alternating back and forth between these two stories because there's a connection between the two. But I do wonder if people are a little confused or set off by the change in artists from issue to issue. Because I know in past comic issues, not of Star Trek, but of any uh, comic series, I've heard you know people complain how, oh, all of a sudden in issue 175, the artist changed in the middle of the story and the art doesn't match the previous issue and da da da. And so I wonder if people have a, a problem with that, with this series. I have to say myself, I kind of appreciated like from issue to issue, the the different artists take on things. I kind of 
found myself by the time I got to issue three, really looking forward to see what the next artist would look like and, and how he would take these characters. And, and I stuff. did too, but I think that's because we knew we were expecting that. Yeah. I think by that point for sure, I, I, you might be right. When I read the second issue, it was a little bit jarring. Like, Oh, we've got a totally different style here. And then of course, between the A and the B story as well, like you say, there's a huge jarring style change with JK Woodward's painted panels and that sort of thing. So um, I, I think I've made no secret of the fact in previous episodes, I love JK Woodward's uh, artwork and his style here. Um, the city on the edge of forever comic was another one done by him that I think was just absolutely gorgeous, that kind of painted style. So um, I'm really digging this and you know, the, the side story, the little bit of background flashback, I'm, I'm kind of appreciating it and really getting into that story as well here. Yeah. And I do love his artwork. I, I re- it's incredible. And I know it takes him a lot of time and this is a good way to do this by having it span five issues with a shorter story. So he's able to get his artwork out in time because with mere broken, there were issues that were delayed because he was still working on the art because it's very time consuming. And sometimes there was, you know, a month delay on an issue. This, these were weekly releases. So he was able to work, you know, probably ahead of time and just do what he would do in a single issue, but it's been broken up into five. So, Mm-hmm. We didn't have a delay in any releases on this. And I do love this yeah. chapter one um, because this whole story starts off with them uh, taking a, a bullion and put him in an agony booth trying to find information of where he got these value, valuable minerals, which are scarce in the mirror universe. And then in the A story, we're on that planet where there's a security uh issue with minerals missing so you're starting to see the bridge between the two stories yeah it's a really clever way of kind of teasing out the story and and making it a whole thing a whole thing by the end and also i will say i didn't notice the first time reading this but apparently spot in this universe is some sort of saber-toothed large cat which uh i hadn't noticed that's really cool (laughs) yeah i didn't notice that either but now as you say it yeah I see. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that. I, I'd rather have the Prime no, Universe spot. Yeah, not not quite as cute as the spot we know, or the spots we know, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that was the first thing I saw when I came to that frame. I'm like, what is this? You know, I was through me, and then I was like, oh, it's spot. <laughs> it's spot with a goatee. <laughs> kind of like a... Yes, exactly. <laughs> kind of like the, I was at a bulldog version of... Uh, Porthos in the Mirror Universe Enterprise episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so before we move on, I just want to... So the minerals and stuff are scarce, and so they put him in the agonizer, and he does give up that that he's working for Emperor Spock. And then the Inquisitor, my favorite character, of course, um, says that, well, he doesn't know any more information. And so then uh, Picard sends data to find out where the Spock is. So why are we needing to know this? <laughs> because we said so. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, wait, well, what, you, th- but that's sort of what happened, right? So you're, you're saying, mm-hmm. why do we need to know this backstory? 
just because he's working for Spock, now Picard has this obsession with finding out where Spock is. Like, why does he even care? I guess is my point. Like, you can get supplies anywhere, but now he's like, Data needs to do all this research and, you know, and he can't find out anything. And so he's going to take the captain's yacht and, and go gather this information. Like, well, why... If if you want resources and materials, then why aren't you going to go to other planets and, and find these mining colonies? Why are you searching out Spock, is my question. I assumed, and I was thinking this on the drive home today, because I was asking myself that same question. I thought, you know, why, why did they feel like they have to go to this length to get these resources? And why are they scarce? And I'm just assuming in the mere universe that... Um, other factions of their races or whatever are taking supply or taking a lot of these supplies away from the Terran empire and probably have destroyed a lot of their factories and mining facilities and such. So things are becoming more and more scarce from these different attacks and during war. And then they find this Bolian who has resources or these supplies and minerals and says, okay, these are hard to get to. So how did you get them? And then he says, I got them from Emperor Spock, who people believe are dead. So I think Picard one is wondering how is Spock still alive? I want to find this guy. Cause he also knows where all these supplies are. This, these minerals. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And I, I think, you know, given centuries of probably, you know, strip mining the galaxy by the empire, I think that's, you know, when they say um, resources are scarce, I'm thinking they mean like on all of the worlds around the empire. Like mm. they've, they've plundered so much out of the galaxy that, you know, that's yeah. okay. really hard to find. Got it. So on that note, uh, let's pop over to issue number two. And this one, uh, the, the art for story a is by Chris Johnson. And to start out with Jonesy is not happy. <laughs> so they're interrogating him on the Enterprise, the the clean-shaven Jones, and he swears up and down he's never been to Naya 4. He, he has no idea what Worf is talking about, and he's quite put out by all of this, and he seems quite distraught by the fact that he's a suspect. And that's here. when my favorite line but, from Worf comes in where he says, is it possible he has a brother? I put that <laughs> in my notes too. That is so funny. Yeah, I do love that line. And on that note, this close-up of Worf where he's scrunching his face, like, is it possible he has a brother? I think the artwork in this issue I would characterize as, you know, the issue of the frowns. Because we get a lot of close-ups of people scrunching their faces and kind of frowning. And uh, I'm, I'm digging it. I like the art in this one as well. And there's a really interesting quality to all of the facial features here. Worf's scrunching his face in various ways. Picard is frowning. Data's giving a weird, you know, eyebrow raise. Like, I love how animated these characters are in this one. Yeah, I think animated is the right term. Uh, they definitely seem more animated, especially their, especially their facial expressions. And I also think uh, Riker's beard looks a little too full compared to the the series in my opinion but i mean i don't have a problem with that but yeah it it's just you know things just you know the the artwork's a little different from what we've seen in the first issue yeah mm. very much so i mean i so much so i couldn't even recognize at first data 
I was like, well, that's not data. But Picard is saying, report Mr. Data. I'm like, no, that's not wait, data. Wait, maybe Data um, has a twin brother. Maybe. <laughs> or, um Maybe several. <laughs> before? <laughs> before what? <laughs> oh, those whimsical names. All right. Um, but so the, the artwork, as far as like for the characters... I was a little thrown off because I, I had a hard time recognizing him. But, of course, you know the characters, so you know who they're supposed to be. But that one data really did throw me off. Um, but I did really like um, the artwork. But my favorite thing about this episode, like, as I was reading it, this is just ripped straight from a, a TV series. Like, the the dialogue that they have, the word choices, the, how they're saying things it made me feel like I was watching an episode of Next Generation. Like, I mm -hmm. couldn't even believe it, more so than any of the others. I was like, this is really what they would say and how they would say it and the expressions. And, you know, I just, I kudos to the dialogue in, in this issue for sure. Yeah, I have to say, especially this scene that we get on the bridge where they're responding to this distress call mm -hmm. from an Andorian vessel, the Shashpar, this just kind of back and forth on the bridge and even like the angles that the artist is yes. using. It feels like a TNG episode. It does. And this actually really made me want to go load up my Blu-rays or Netflix and, and throw on an episode. Um, there's there's one scene that I just, uh, that popped into my head and it, it's really random, but it's one that I really like because it feels really official and realistic. And it's when the Enterprise receives the distress call from the USS Janolan, Scotty's ship that crashed on the Dyson Sphere. And there's just something about the professionalism in that scene. You know, Riker, code, one alpha zero, ship in distress, set a course, blah, blah. I just, that's what this feels like. It feels like that, a TNG scene like that. Yeah, I don't know if we yeah, mentioned this... that the writers are David Tipton and Scott Tipton, who have written tons of Star Trek comics, but they did write the whole story yes. for all five issues. Absolutely. And great comic writers, too, because they've they've done a lot of my favorites as well. So, yeah, kudos to them for sure. So, like I said, they respond to this distress call from an Andorian ship, the Shashpar, and it's very recognizable because the Andorians haven't changed their ship designs in over two centuries, apparently. So that's good. And uh, <laughs> so this distress call is cut off and they, you know, follow the distress call. And when they get there, Riker, Crusher, Data, and LaForge, they beam over to find the Andorian crew slaughtered very gruesomely. Um, one note here, did any, was, was that a lot of red blood around on the ship, which seemed odd to me? I thought Andorians had blue blood. I did wonder about that. Hmm. Have we seen Andorian blood? I couldn't recall. Yeah, Shran, I think, gets nicked. A few times when he's battling Archer with the Ushan Tors in the Enterprise episode. And I seem to remember. Oh, yeah. And uh, and he has a vial of uh, his his mate's blood that he um, pours on the Tellarite's hands in that episode as well. I would blue. just say that the lighting <laughs> on the ship is a little off that makes the blood look red. But it's really blue. That's that's kind of how I explained it away. The uber Star Trek nerd in me. I was like. Yeah, no, it's actually blue. It's just, it just looks that way. <laughs> when I was looking at the blood, I, it didn't notice to me because I think it sort of was like brown to me. But I think 
And I've noticed this, like, when you see it on TV or stuff, you know, or like when Spock gets beat up and he's got these green marks and it just doesn't look right. And it's like, well, he's, he's Vulcan. He's supposed to be different. But I think red is so universal for blood that it just, even if, even if they had blue on the ground, would we have known that was blood? I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just so. It it needs to be. Yeah. It needs to be. It needs to look like blood while we're reading this. Because I know when I got to this part, I did think, oh, wait, is Andorian blood red? I can't remember if we've ever figured that out. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, if it was blue, it just would have looked weird. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. All right. Okay. okay but continue. Well, I'll, I'll let it go, I guess. Okay. <laughs> so the away team is aboard this ship, and they come under attack by what appears to be the sole survivor. And eventually he kind of, he's obviously in shock, and but he does recognize his attackers and thinks that they might have been the ones that attacked him. But again, as we mentioned, all humans looked alike, so he must be mistaken. Um, and you know, as he, as he's gotten calmed down, I notice his antenna is kind of like one of those bendy straws that you, you can get that, that have the little crinkles and you can bend it and he just bends it back up and then it's fine. So that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, the, there's a, like a close shot of him and his antenna looks like it has those little crinkles in it, like one of those straws. And he does just straighten it up and i want to find new. those crinkle straws in blue <laughs> oh yes simple andorian cosplay here i want to i want to drink through a andorian antenna <laughs> oh that's so funny awesome so they they do run into a few problems there's uh the warp core is going critical on the andorian ship and they do manage to eject it and buy themselves some time but it does eventually uh there is eventually a warp core breach but the enterprise manages to beam the away team back and get away in time and they do salvage some records from the ship and in reviewing those records at the very end of this issue picard and Riker see a couple of very familiar faces plundering this vessel. And it is, of course, the goateed Picard and the oddly bearded Riker. <laughs> and I say oddly bearded because he has these weird little braid things coming off that I just, I hate. I think those are really ugly. Yeah. But uh, they obviously recognize them as their, uh, as doppelgangers. And then that last frame, there's no words or anything, but when I look at it, it's like, Dun dun dun! I mean, it just screams at you. It's like, yeah, oh my gosh, who are these people? They're us. Dun dun dun! <laughs> to be continued. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and those facial expressions. I mean, this once again, we've got close up on the two of them, and like the the expressions are just so animated and like they've. A lot of times artwork in some Star Trek comics feels like they took this publicity photo or that still from an episode and just kind of emulated it to create the scenes. But the art in this one, I have to say, the facial expressions and everything are very much, to me anyway, created from scratch with maybe, you know, some kind of model as far as the you know, broad strokes of the facial expressions, but I don't recall Picard's face ever doing that, but it looks like Picard and it looks like utter shock as an example. Yes. 
So overall, what did you guys think of the the A story in this uh, in this issue? Like I said, the the writing on it is just it, it's perfect next gen. I mean, this just feels like an episode straight out of the series. Um, I, I know. I just want to throw in also like this series issue. They've got space scenes, and man, they can draw the Enterprise D. Every single time I see it, it's like so beautiful, you know, and they have it. You see it when they're releasing the warp core, and you see it when they're with the Andorian ship, and, you know, I'm just like, man, it's just very beautiful. I was happy to see the Enterprise D in in a few space scenes um, in this issue. Amy, I got to ask, do you like the next generation? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just a little <laughs> just a little bit yeah <laughs> just a little bit we haven't had much troy at this point but uh no that's that comes true. up later oh <laughs> yeah well we'll yeah get and there. i like this issue too I, I do agree with the dialogue i remember reading this and and then these issues after this and feeling the whole series felt like an episode the you know because when you have five issues you can really spread out the story and make it almost feel like an episode. The only one thing I was wondering if this would bother some people, and it didn't bother me, but we know what's going on. It's the the crew of our Enterprise doesn't know that these are their mere universe counterparts messing with things, but we, the reader, know what's going on. So at this point, I was reading the second issue, thinking, okay, how long are we going to play up the fact that they can't, they haven't figured things out? We know what's going on. Let's get, let's get, you know, I hope we get to the story here where they know what's happening and we can go right into it. Okay, Mm. so no, they needed this issue still to just finally get a wisp because like I said, the first issue, I was lost. I'm like, where? I thought I was reading Mirror and now I've got Prime, I don't understand. And so this one, even, even then at the very end, then it was like, oh, they're beginning to see these Primes. So for me, and being this newbie, like, they're slowly, I'm slowly entering this deep water of this mirror universe, you know, idea here. And it needed to be this slow, at least least for me. And it was, yeah, so by issue three, then I was like, okay, this is cool. And it gave me enough time to wrap my head around what was going on. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Amy. I really liked the the slow buildup, even though we as the audience know sorry, the readers know what's coming. I like that kind of dramatic irony where we know more than the characters actually do. And then there's probably also just the selfish part of me that really loves this as like a missing TNG episode. So the more that we get in the prime universe where they're just kind of business as usual and just doing this investigation, I'm really enjoying that. I'm really... uh, yeah, it's really nice to read this issue and we know what's going on where the rest of the crew doesn't. It makes you feel like a Wesley Crusher that you just know so much more than the rest of the crew. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, the B story, of course, in this in this issue, Ripe for Plunder, Chapter 2, we've got Data investigating Imperial Alpha, which is their version of Memory Alpha for you know, Spock's history, but he finds that a lot of the files have been purged. So he, you know, chases down some leads. He talks to some binars. He talks to that weird backwards talking alien from Star Trek three, the search for Spock. And he, you know, goes around and, and finds out all this information and it leads him to this jungle planet and he gets attacked by vines, which he fights off 
and then we get to be continued. Riker so, knows this, about being attacked by vines. Shades uh, of gray. That's true, that's true. Luckily, Data doesn't get infected with the weird thing that makes us relive past episodes. Yeah, because so I good. haven't seen Dr. Pulaski in any of these. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So yeah, this story is going, uh, I mean, it's just little snippets. It's much shorter, like we said. And it's uh, it's advancing the story fairly slowly, I think. So we're we're Data's chasing down these leads I really like that scene at Imperial Alpha where he's talking with this librarian um, and she's just like, uh, no, the Empire has changed those records to be more in line with accepted history. There's nothing I can do. It's like, well, I need to see the original records. And she's like, no, no, they're destroyed like you do with that sort of thing. Please leave. I just I love alternate universe librarians. <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah, this uh, story. Uh, you know, I liked how it started off with the librarian and him searching and, you know, talking to all these different people and stuff. But when he got to the last page or so and he's going through the jungle, the whole vines attacking him, which then he clears away from, just felt like filler. Like, you know, well, we need something to kind of get to this end of this issue and have a little some exciting moment before we end this part of the story it just was like i mean what i'm getting at is the vines attacking data have nothing to do with the story you could go without it it'd be just fine yeah uh, i completely agree i mean i guess it's there just to show the struggle and, and that he has to go through to gather this information i guess but other than that there's no reason for it i mean it looks cool yeah. it's nice and green yeah and i like that he's uh piloting the captain's yacht I think that's cool. Yes, that's very mm -hmm. nice shot there. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, Bruce, as well. The the filler feeling at the end. Uh and we'll get there, but we'll get more of that in this story too, I think. I think that kind of really bogs the story down later, but uh in in future issues, which we will get to very presently here. So let's jump to issue number three now. Uh, so story a art by Josh hood. So again, we've got a shift in artistic styles and it starts out with Barkley in his mirror universe uniform, walking down the corridors of the enterprise, but it's the prime enterprise and everybody's wearing the old season one and two uniforms. And what's going on here. And we've pretty quickly realized that it's the holodeck. Um, yeah, because everyone's like, looking good, Lieutenant Barkley, and he's all got <laughs> confidence. Good afternoon, ladies. I'm like, um, who is this? Who is this? Yeah, this is something's exactly. off, something's off. And I love how, you know, it's, it's a totally different situation, but it still ends up the same as like when Barkley creates the Voyager crew in the Voyager episodes, where he takes on the persona of the one that everybody loves. Yes. Whereas this one, it's the mirror universe Barkley, and he's just like, yeah, this is how everybody would treat me as befitting my rank and position here. You know, it's, so it's like, it's a clue that it's a holodeck, and it's it ends up the same way as it does in the prime universe with the prime Barkley. I don't know. That just really, I thought that was really funny somehow. <laughs> yeah, and then the uh, season one, season two uniforms was a bit confusing to me. Uh I mean, I knew he was on the mm -hmm. holodeck. That was 
funny. But at the, then I was like, okay, so why are they on the holiday? So here's what I was thinking, because they know, they always have a recreation of what the Enterprise D is going to be like to carry out their mission. So it almost seems like, you know, everything is precise, but yet they've got the wrong time period and... So I was, I guess the thing is I was questioning that a little and I'll save my comment a little later. I think it will be an issue four where I want to make a comment about the uniforms. Yeah. Cause I'll, I'll have a comment later in this issue with regards to uniforms as well. So there, there's kind of a throwaway line where they say, you know, some of our information may be a little outdated, but you know, Jordy's confident it'll be good enough. So yeah, this is a simulation in which they're trying to work out, you know, replace these isolinear chips and fool the enterprise systems into getting a communication signal, blah, 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 which of course leads up to them infiltrating the enterprise. And the two that infiltrate the enterprise are Barclay and Deanna Troy wearing her intergalactic cheerleader outfit, as she's called it, uh, from the pilot episode Encounter at Farpoint, which I thought was a lot of fun. The one thing that bugs me about this and the only thing that bugs me about it, because I actually think like this is kind of a fun little bit of humor that, you know, they've got the wrong uniforms and they don't have all the right information. But in the first issue, they had uh, copied the, the modern uniforms in order to infiltrate the base, you know, and so Riker and Jordy and Jonesy, Jonesy all had... Uh, the proper uniforms yes. at that point. So that's the only thing that I'm like, wait a minute, they know. Okay, that was the right. thing I was like, saving because in issue four, they said, oh, I can't believe Jordy got the uniforms wrong. And so I was going to make the comment later, mm. but he got it right in the first issue. <laughs> yeah, that's the only part that like doesn't quite track. It almost feels like as they were writing these issues, they thought, ooh, this will make a funny joke and threw it in there even though it didn't quite track with the early issue, which I mean, on the face of it, I'm okay with because I like the idea. I <laughs> like the idea that they got something like that a little bit fundamentally wrong and it's kind of cute. Huh, you know? I didn't even catch that. So yeah, I had right. to go back and look because when they said, Oh, you know, we're in the wrong uniforms. I was like, wait, then was Jonesy in the wrong uniform. So I had to go back to issue one and look, I was like, no, he's wearing the correct time frame uniform and then that last panel with Jordy and Riker, they're in the correct uniforms. Now they're in the wrong uniforms. So yeah, and it it does come up, they, you know, are you what's going on? Oh, I was just feeling a bit nostalgic. There's not a problem with that, is there? And it kind of reminded me, this is a little bit silly, but when I was uh when I was a kid, I was watching Voyager and I thought it would be fun if they had like a wear an old Starfleet uniform day on Voyager or something like that. And they all wore, you know, mini skirts and the movie era uniforms and all this stuff. But that was just, you know, so I kind of got to play that out here a little bit. So I'm just going to throw in, I ordered that scant and should wear it at Star Trek Las Vegas. Nice. That is so cool. <laughs> I guess, you know, Bruce and I, they do have male versions of that same uniform. They so do. We could really, they we do. Could really wear that. Yeah, we should all do the scans. <laughs> so like I said, Barkley and Troy infiltrate the Enterprise and Barkley goes and does his isolinear chip mission, uh, running into a couple crew members who call him Broccoli, which Ooh, he does not respond well no. to. Much, <laughs> Yeah, much to uh, the 
consternation of these crew members, one of whom gets kind of body slammed into the turbo lift by an enraged Barkley in the wrong uniform. They must wonder, like, what the heck happened that day? It's kind of a weird day on the Enterprise. But Barkley manages to complete his mission, which uh, is to fake a distress, not a distress call, fake a hail from Admiral Paris, giving them new orders to proceed to the Martirella's array. And as the comic closes, Picard orders the Enterprise on the assigned course and then pauses and then asks Ensign Crusher to verify the order. See what he can do to confirm that this was a legitimate order. So obviously there's some sort of questioning, some sort of suspicion there as well. And I'm sorry, did you talk about Deanna in this episode? Because she's in it. (laughs) I thought I might leave that to you because I feel like you're going to have some thoughts on Deanna's... uh, interesting scene here for sure yes so i of (laughs) course like this uh issue because we have deanna but it's the inquisitor but she's here you know in her blue season one scant looking lovely as ever and uh she runs into oh yes will Riker. and i just think it's so funny the interplay that they have together totally I think it just goes back to what we know their relationship is. So it so works. And she turns on her flirty Troy and, you know, what's the matter? Do you disapprove, you know? Uh, And so it's just sort of cute. And then Will's like, what is, are you feeling okay? What's going on? And, you know, they sort of lean in and he's like, we will need to, you know, talk later. And then they go their separate way and... Yes, she, yeah. But I just, I thought that was uh, very cute, um, especially because we know that she's the Inquisitor and she's trying to act all nice and what she would think their relationship is in the prime, not even knowing. But, you know, I think she comes at it with uh, her relationship with prime will and is trying, is making a big assumption that they have the same thing in the prime. I like to think that Riker looked at her and said, okay, you're acting funny and you're wearing your old uniform. That's strange. And then he turns off to the side and he says, is it possible she has a sister? (laughs) (laughs) I like it. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I really did like that scene. I love how, you know, she's kind of falling back, like you said, on her relationship with Riker in the mirror universe to try and play him, to try and get through this situation. And, you know, she knows and that immediately it's not quite working because he's really confused. And in the early part of that scene, he's got that very, you know, boyish Riker grin. But then later on, he's got that like Riker wide-eyed like what's going on kind of thing so but you know Riker's suspicious enough that he's like Deanna we need to talk later like are you all right I I gotta go but we're gonna talk later and uh but she got she gets through it you know she manages to get through it and presumably will come into play in the next issue because we don't see what happens to her after that in this one And then from there, we get uh, Ripe for Plunder Chapter 3, continuing the story of Data 
searching for Spock in a very roundabout, slow way. This is the one that, to me, I was like, really? Come on. We have the whole story where he's still on this jungle planet and he finds this cave and he walks into it and then is attacked for the entire rest of the story by Tellarites, I yep. think. Uh, it was kind of the next issue that I really realized they were all Tellarites because there's you can't really get a great look at them until you realize they're what either they Tellarites are. or a bunch of Santa uh, Clauses. No, yeah, <laughs> I mean they don't look like Santa Claus, so like Santa Claus with fangs and anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he spends panel after panel beating all of them up because he's Data, and then finally on the last page he crashes through this wooden door into this old hut where this gas lamp is burning, and he sees a, f- a figure huddled in the corner, and he says, "Emperor Spock, I presume." And he turns around, and it's not actually Spock. It's actually Spock as Karl Marx, I think. I don't know. <laughs> but yes, it is. It's the old Emperor Spock with a very bushy beard and long, scraggly hair pulling back this and, uh, hood. And we get to And that continue. artwork is so great because it's so Leonard Nimoy. But the, yeah, almost with the, the Cybok look. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Totally. Yes. It is gorgeous. You know, I made fun of it saying he looked like Karl Marx, but uh, it is it is beautiful and it's so Leonard Nimoy's Spock. Like it's just it screams that at you even though it looks totally different than we've ever seen him before. Yeah, the detail in that one frame is remarkable. Cuz you, yeah, you can see the eyes like that is Leonard Nimoy. There's certain panels you can tell that just got extra special love, and this is one of them. That reveal is just so perfect. Definitely. Well, that panel aside, I do have to say, I I mean, I like the artwork in this one as usual, but boy, does this ever just grind the story to a halt. Am I wrong? Like, this just, wow. Like, it, it really doesn't do much other than the big Spock reveal at the end. It really just kind of has this story tripping until we finally get to that. I don't know. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah. Well, yeah, again, it's like we're seeing the struggle that Data is going through to, you know, find Spock. Uh, I guess the thing that I like about it is where he turns on, you know, because Mirror Data has the Borg eyeball thing and he turns on his thing and then the next frame it's all in green and, and it you know, identifies the people who are supposedly hiding in the dark, I'm assuming. So I I sort of like that aspect of it, if I were to say something Mm. good about this. Yeah, I mean, again, the artwork and and everything you guys are saying, it's just, you know, if if the B story was a donut, we've reached the hole. There isn't really a whole lot there. (laughs) It's, um, yeah, it's just Data fighting off these Tellarites. There's very little dialogue, and then he finds Spock at the end. Um, it wasn't that it was bad, but yeah, it's just there. It does feel like filler. All right. Okay. It wasn't just me then. Let's it's filler continue. in the hole of the donut, which makes no sense. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. None whatsoever. <laughs> Not even a little bit. All right. <laughs> well, with that said, let's jump to issue number four then. And before we get into this issue, we haven't really talked about the various covers for these issues. But I want to say one thing about one of them. And 
with each issue, we've gotten kind of uh, one of the variant covers has been the alternate version of someone kind of facing off against the prime version of them. And in this one, we have Jordy, the two Jordies. And the nearer Jordy is holding this gruesome looking weapon, which I don't know if you guys recognized it, but it's a ship mounted phase cannon from Enterprise. So it's one of the full size like cannons that are mounted on the NX-01 Enterprise having been made into a handheld carried weapon, which I'm sorry, that's badass and cool. <laughs> ah, yeah, that is really cool. I didn't know what it was, so. <laughs> that's just the little comment I wanted to make there. I don't usually just go, whoa, that's cool, man, but that's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> it's known as cover B, so yeah, the variant covers, uh, yeah, if you can find cover B, that's what you'll get. So the art in this one for story A is by Carlos Nieto. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and in this one, so first of all, the artwork on this one feels the most, I want to say vintage comic-y, if that makes sense. Like it feels like almost something from the DC era of Star Trek but like the really good examples from that era. Yes, does that it does. Sense? Now that you Bruce? say that, yes, it brings back fond memories of the DC comic run for me. <laughs> yeah, I really like the, the artwork here. So as per Admiral Paris's perceived orders, <laughs> we know they're faked, but uh, the Enterprise arrives at the Martirella's array and they soon find out that the array is jamming all of the scans and any communications in the area. And Picard and Ensign Crusher figure out that the message is a fake. And Riker and Data discover the fact that there are two Deanna Troys on board. Now, this part I thought was really interesting. I like they ask the computer the lo to locate Deanna Troy. And the computer says Deanna Troy is located in her, in her quarters. Deanna Troy is adjacent to access panel J9 in engineering. And I kind of all, have always wondered what would happen, you know, in a situation like this when, the, the, you, when you ask the computer someone's location. I thought that was a really neat touch. Yeah, because I guess Mirror, the Inquisitor, had to have her combat jet on, so the computer would pick that up. Mm hmm. <laughs> so they, of course, find this, you know, an odd turn of events and decide to set out in pursuit of her. Um, Mirror Troy ends up loading a simulation in engineering that will make the ship uh, seem like it's flooding with an antimatter radiation leak. And their whole plan is to get the crew to abandon ship so they can take over the Enterprise. And we also eventually learn that they are going to use the array to somehow beam the ship to their universe to have it join an armada of enterprises that they hope to command. So of course our enterprise crew is one step ahead of them throughout this. And at the very end we get basically the mirror crew kind of waiting for our crew to abandon ship and fulfill their plans and i love this scene where they're like any minute now <laughs> any second now yep they're gonna abandon ship right away and then no it never happens <laughs> and eventually the prime crew beams down 
And for some reason, Picard leads the the away team. I have no idea why Riker thought that that would be okay and didn't stop him. But Picard, Riker, Worf, Data, and a whole bunch of yellow shirts <laughs> beam down pointing phasers at the uh, Mirror Universe crew. And we kind of get a standoff between the two crews. And uh, that's where it's end- ended. Basically... Picard's kind of calling Picard's bluff, maybe. <laughs> so, so how what did you come guys on there's no mirror wharf? He is uh because what? the Klingons okay, are I part might of the Terran it mixed Empire. Up. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Oh right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. So in the mirror universe in uh in the um Wharf is the regent, right? I in think, the Deep yes. Space Nine episodes he shows up in the mirror universe. I momentarily got it mixed up with Diane Duane's Dark Mirror and uh, where Worf is a crew member on the Mirror Enterprise, but uh, he's a slave, but that's a different continuity. So it, it all it all gets. Well, a he could be a slave here, too, but he's locked up or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And eventually becomes the regent yeah. or something. Yeah. So what did you guys think of this one? It was good. I mean, I, I, this is where the action really starts to happen. Like it all starts to come together. Um, so I like them all going to the array and I love the over dramatic Picard in the mirror universe of like, we will consolidate our power base once and for all. <laughs> yes. Cause we all know that Picard loves his speeches. And so now this is totally fitting. He was, you know, bringing everyone together, actually giving credit where credit is due. I was, that sort of threw me off for a little bit. But, you know, when you're a dictator, you got to throw the little ones a bone here and there. And it was great. And like the angles that he had and his arms outstretched and we are going to be victorious. Our struggle is worth it. And, you know, I th- I thought it was really awesome. And the again, they have the Enterprise D and that. Yeah. Okay, so, so Amy, that page that you're on right now that you're talking about is, you know, his arms are up at the top of the page. Then you have all the Enterprise yeah. Ds and the bottom of that page, Riker has his leg up on a crate as he's cheering It's on. the Riker <laughs> maneuver. I did not notice that. <laughs> wow. To like the nth degree. The thing is like at the level of his hip. That's amazing. <laughs> I yeah. did not notice that. <laughs> That will be posted oh, wow. in the Babel conference when the show is in there. <laughs> Just remind me. <laughs> yes, because it is ridiculous. <laughs> it is. It really is. But, you know, it's the Riker maneuver. Yep. And everything's, you know, everything's exaggerated in the mirror universe. So <laughs> there you go. Um, I love how Picard kind of almost foreshadows how this all turns out because he says at one point, and I, I can't find it exactly, but he says something about, you know, against our very natures, we came together and did this thing. And then it starts to unravel. And sure enough, what happens, they all start pointing fingers at each other. This is all your fault. And Barclay yeah. says, you know, if you if I'd have done your mission, it would have been fine. And Troy snipes back at them. And it just all starts no, to No, he unravel. was pointing at Troy. And I was not having that there. This is all your <laughs> fault. And he's pointing at Troy. No way, Jose. Exactly. But yeah, this is the mirror universe. You know, it all there. Nobody trusts one another. They're all jockeying for position. 
And I love how, you know, Picard says like, wow, look at what we did. We overcame our natures and we managed this thing. And then, nope, never mind. We're all just going to start tearing at each other again here. I thought that was just a really nice little touch. Yeah. And I like how uh, Barkley is upset about being called Broccoli and he's telling Troy about this. And what's funny to me is the fact that he's from the mere universe and he's looking at the prime universe people as being mean because no one in the mere universe calls him broccoli you just wouldn't do that but in this prime universe where everybody's nice they're actually really mean because they're making fun of him these aren't nice people in the prime universe i just thought that was ironic yeah very Mm. much so yeah yeah another nice little touch that kind of makes you go you know, like, what are they trying to say here? Like, I, you know, I think there, there's something to that, that, you know, maybe it's not just good and bad. It's, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. But yeah, I really liked this issue, too. I thought uh, it things come together really well here. And I love how over the top dramatic Picard is smashing things. And why isn't anything happening? Smash and everyone's like whoa dude hey calm down and then it just goes off the card i'm gonna put you in time out you need to behave yeah (laughs) so as i was reading yeah this whole picard thing and and he's sort of outlining his plan and this evil plan and it reminded me of i don't know there's a geico commercial or something and it's like you know waiting for the evil uh, protagonist or whatever to reveal your plan and he pulls out this PowerPoint, you know, and he's going through his evil plan. This sort of, I sort of got that impression that it was like, all right, he's laying it out. Here's the evil Picard, what we're going to do. And I just, it sort of made me chuckle inside that, that to have that little trope there with that. So I guess uh, let's move on to the uh, fourth chapter four of ripe for plunder and so at the end of the last issue spock sorry data discovered spock not vice versa and spock kind of relates the history of what happened uh with the you know the whole crossover from the episode mirror mirror and what happened after that and the the story ends with data threatening spock to take the files that that he's been hiding and meanwhile the tellerites wait menacingly outside presumably to attack as well i really liked this this was after after the you know action heavy very little dialogue of the previous ones we get a lot of exposition here a lot of dialogue and the fact that these two legends meeting and talking i thought was really cool even though they're the mirror universe versions of them and I don't know, this one more than anything else, I could really hear Brent Spiner's voice and Leonard Nimoy's voice. I really thought this was a really cool story. Part of the Yeah, story, this is my say. favorite, I think, of the five story B lines because of the dialogue of Spock and telling the history. And uh, we actually have a panel of from Mirror Mirror of the younger Spock with Captain Kirk. And uh, yes. then, yeah, data threatening mm. Spock at the end. I, uh, yeah, I mean, it was really captivating for me to read this one. Yeah, the dialogue is is great, and definitely compared to the last episode that had maybe two words, and you know, 
this one definitely moved this story. And yeah, the artwork is really re like almost well, every frame is so good. You can just sit and look at it because there's so much detail and, and you can see. And, and I love the one with Mir, Spock and Kirk, you know, back in the day. It just I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's straight from the episode. Like it's so spot on. It's really magnificent artwork. Yeah, I, I love that about it. And again, we get so many shots of this elder Leonard Nimoy Spock too that are just each one there, there's not a flaw in them they all look so realistic and so gorgeous it's very very cool and then the final panel was where I was like oh they're Tellarites okay oh yeah <laughs> I hadn't there really gotten are, it yeah. up to that point <laughs> awesome so let's uh wow let's move on to the fifth and final issue so in issue number five, story A, and again, since we've been saying it for each one, I should say that the artwork is by Deborah Carita. And again, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. There's some accents in there that I don't know Spanish, and I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so in this one, we've got, you know, the ultimate face-off between the Prime crew and the Mirror Universe crew. And meanwhile, we have Data tapping into the Array's operating system. And these two crews, they kind of end up scattering and firing at each other. We get a phaser fight between them. And ultimately, um, the Mirror crew beams back home after Picard destroys the device that's connected to the Array that's going to beam the Enterprise to the alternate universe. That little bit there, I... I almost, it was kind of a blink and miss it thing. I didn't realize, that, oh, he destroyed that device. And it seemed almost a little anticlimactic. What did you guys think of that part in particular? Yeah, maybe a little. No, I didn't think so. I was like, that, you know, they were looking for the device. They found the device, you know, they're pointing up, they're guarding it and, you know, cover him and stuff like that. And, and... Yeah, I sort of understood it that that device, that that's how they were going back and forth or to continue to do going back and forth. So that was a, a good win for our prime guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I, uh, I just, I kind of glanced over it because I think there was so much happening prior to that. I was like, oh, they created an explosion and then this happened. And then I was like, wait a minute and backed up. And I was like, oh, that's the device. That's the thing they showed earlier. It was responsible. So I think I did a poor job of reading this the first time through. Basically, I just kind of went through it too quickly. And this is kind of my problem with comics like this. And it's, it's, it's a problem that I have. It's not a problem of the comic itself, but when we get things like phaser fights and, you know, just action, 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 I tend to just kind of like scroll, scroll, scroll. Okay. 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 You know, if there's not a lot of dialogue that's, you know, other than what the, ah, move over here. Ah, you know, I kind of don't give it the attention that it needs. So, which is, like I said, that's my problem. That's not a fault of the comic. So there is a lot of action in this one and it's goes back and forth really fast paced. I will say, though, that the action I don't think is as well drawn and as well done as it was in that first issue, if that makes sense. Agreed. And that might just be because there's way more of it here. I don't know. But to me, it just like 
it kind of all melded together after a little while and I had a little bit of trouble following it. It seems on the faces it's a little pencil heavy with uh, shadows and lines more than mm-hmm. the rest. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's certain uh, characters that look spot on. I think this is the best of the Wesleys out of the all the issues where he mm-hmm. looks more like Will Wheaton, but probably the worst of Barkley, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Wesley is really well done there. That's a good call. Um, one thing I noticed is the close-ups of the mirror characters. There seem to be a lot darker shading and stuff around the eyes and really kind of stressing that, like, ooh, these are the dark versions of the characters and they all wore heavy eyeliner that day kind of thing. <laughs> and the and the prime characters are a little not quite as heavy on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about Picard going up in the turbo lift and his huge feet? <laughs> I think. That was like the first thing I saw when I was like, oh my gosh, look at the size of his feet. What's going on? This is crazy. I don't know. That made me laugh. I mean, I understand what they're doing. It's just way funny to me. It it is too much though. I mean, it it is, you know, meant to be a trick of perspective, Yeah. but that does still doesn't quite work because Riker's looking up at Picard and his feet are above Riker and they're like, twice the size of his head <laughs> yeah it's a little bit uh i let, let's say it's impressionistic yeah maybe. there you go yeah, it looks a little too big <laughs> yeah i mean i can almost read adidas on the soul <laughs> it's interesting though it's an interesting shot we never see the bottom of their shoes very often at all so that's true hmm. <laughs> for all we know they could be you know like slick bowling shoes or yeah. something okay so can i do want to talk about uh the one so when the picards are talking to each other and then the the last the bottom of the page where you just see the eyes of the two picards and then it says engage like i'm reading that to be because they're going back and forth between mirror and prime and so it's like you you've got mirror universe talking and then you know, it's sort of going back and forth between the two Picards. And so then you have the one, which I assume is the mirror, and then the one below it, which I assume is the prime, and he says engage. I don't know. I read it that way, but I was curious. What did you think of those two um, Picards? Do you think they're both the same, or do you think there's one mirror, one I prime? thought it was the... I just assumed the first one was prime and the second one was mirror. Yeah, that's the way I took it as well. Again, because of that you know, more heavy on the on the darkness around the eyes and the kind of darker eyebrows and more glaring look. I, I thought the bottom one saying engage was uh was the mirror version. Okay. So then I read that right that they were the the two cards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think so. I assume too, yeah. Well we're not quite done with the story yet because there's a little bit of a twist at the end that uh I didn't exactly see coming but thinking back on uh images that we got of upcoming stories it makes total sense so um you know they manage like we said the the mirror group they beam back to their universe and of course the prime crew returns to the enterprise however one of the mirror group did not beam back with them and it seems that mirror barkley is in our universe to stay at least for a while. 
And the very, very end, we have Barkley, our Barkley, entering his quarters and, you know, getting a nice glass of water, taking a sip, and then getting cracked over the head with a wrench. And Barkley 2.0 takes over here. We get the mirror Barkley assuming the role of Prime Barkley, <laughs> tying our Barkley up on the bed and laughing maniacally as he walks out of the room. And all I could think of was if counselor Troy's schedule for Barkley isn't already full after this, he is just going to be a wreck. And I don't envy whatever counselor ends up having to take his case. Cause wow, he is not going to come. I was thinking well. how they're both in <laughs> his quarters. So if anybody was looking for him, the computer would say, Mr. Barkley is in his quarters. Mr. Barkley is in his quarters. Why is the computer repeating? They just might think it's a right. glitch. <laughs> there you go. The computer's just stuttering instead of. <laughs> and it was cute that he's like, I'll get the right uniform this time. So a call. Yeah, I liked to- that little yeah, callback. That was cute. Out of uniform. <laughs> And I'm sorry, I remember crew quarters, and I've never seen a bed like Lieutenant Barkley has. This looks like a it hospital does. bed. There's yeah, not the any bed on the series that looks like this hospital Maybe it's bed. a fold-up bed that he keeps keeps in the closet um, for guests, <laughs> or I don't know, like a roll-away? <laughs> like a Murphy bed? I don't, I don't know. know. Also, we know that Barkley is a huge hypochondriac, so maybe he had a hospital bed replicated for himself. There you go. Okay, I'll I'll take that, yeah. He consults the 24th century version of WebMD too much, so he, you know. (laughs) Okay, so the ending of that obviously setting up the storyline we're going to get in a future series, uh, which has been advertised already, and I can't off the top of my head, recall the name. Terra Do you remember? Incognita. Oh, right. Terra Incognita, which is another mini series that continues. The starts story in forward, July so. of this year. Six issues. Yeah. And that one's going to be, is that I think it's, it's not weekly. I like this one. Was. Don't it's think it's be... weekly. I think it's monthly. I tried to confirm that and couldn't find anything, but I, th- I don't think it's a weekly one. Right, because I know the series continues on well into the fall. So, yeah, I think it's uh, monthly or something like that, but definitely not weekly. Uh, so, oh, all that's left wait, is to talk about... Wait, ab- wait, Oh, wait. sorry. So, just before we move on, <laughs> I just want to say, um, so if anyone thinks that these aren't Star Trek, uh, I think this issue really summarizes... Um, what we've seen and sort of wraps it up very nicely. And we have this whole discussion on nature versus nurture, you know, get that philosophical, this bigger than me idea, bigger than the story. This is, you know, the idea that we are discussing here in this Star Trek philosophy. And I think they do a great job in, you know, because Wesley's asking questions and, you know, well, do you assume that they are evil or is it how they, you know, are brought up nature versus nurture? And so I really think it does a good job in the closure of this uh, series. Mm-hmm. That's a very good call. And yeah, I did forget to talk about this because this is something that's come up when we've talked about these mirror universe stories a lot in the uh, whether it's the Shatner verse or Diane Duane's Dark Mirror 
this discussion has come up on literary treks. And I love that they kind of directly talk about it here. And once again, it really leans into that feeling of a TNG episode uh, where you would get that kind of discussion outright of, you know, the topic of the episode. A lot of times it would be data in his quarters talking to Riker about the nature of humanity or something like that. But yeah, it feels very TNG here. And I really, really like that wrap up. Yeah. And Picard says, which I just think, you know, Oh, but makes me think of an old quotation for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And that is used in nemesis as well. I like this conversation because one of the things I was thinking is the mirror universe counterparts uh to our prime characters are don't seem that ruthless they do seem more like the tng crew from prime universe just their different situation and what really stood out to me is when in the first issue going down to the planet to gather to steal the minerals and and uh and other things supplies and such and all the way to trying to capture the enterprise d they never set out to kill the prime crew. They set up the ship so that they will all escape in escape pods when they could find another way to just go and kill everybody and take, they're not ruthless. They're not out to kill. So I find that interesting that the Picard and the rest of the crew of the enterprise and the mirror universe are just only trying to survive by getting the supplies they need while not doing their best not to harm others. Yeah, no, that's very true. The one, yeah, I, I kind of thought a little bit, um, I want to say differently, probably in the last issue with Picard's kind of uh, pontificating, but from a more uni- mirror universe side. But again, that could be really just summed up with his different upbringing and having to cope in this mirror universe instead of something that's fundamentally different about them. So yeah, I I had those thoughts reading this and going through this as well and trying to kind of basically play out this debate that they have on the bridge in my own head a little bit. So, well, it's interesting you bring that up because yeah, it says, well, mirror Picard says, well, we want them to go away. We don't really want to take them as prisoners because who needs all these prisoners and I thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But you're right. Mirror, what we know and generally think of as evil and bad, you know, just kill them all. You know, kill them all and take the Enterprise D, you know, as as the the prize. But, yeah, so it was interesting. I was reading that and I thought, well, that's weird that they would say, you know, specifically identify we're not taking them on as prisoners. But, yeah. Well, we do have one final little bit to talk about of course and that's ripe for plunder chapter five and we've got so data and spock and data is threatening spock to give him the files and the tellerites attack and data we don't see exactly what happens but we can surmise from the various sound effects that we're uh privy to here that this story has a very dark ending especially when data walks out covered in blood and clutching the data tapes that tell the story of what happened and 
what this whole mirror universe is and how they can access it to uh, access uncounted worlds ripe for plunder, as Data tells Picard when he contacts him. So, yeah, what did you guys think of the turn that this story took at the end and that especially just that one panel where you see Data's face after the Tellarite yells, you hear me? Put him down! Because he's holding Spock up over his head and Data kind of looks up at Spock with this kind of evil smirk and says yes i hear you and that's when we get all these sound effects and then data emerging covered in blood yeah it's yikes it's implied that data kills (laughs) spock although and a lot and a lot of tellerites for sure but you know again i think it implies he killed spock doesn't mean he necessarily did because we do see a close-up panel of the blood on data and none of it's green just red that's true. That's true. There's a bun- Once again, the color of blood is coming into play here. Yes. It is a lot of red blood. Well, and seeing Data's face like that reminds me when uh, in the series he kills the uh, Borg. Yes. Remember? And he mm-hmm. thinks that he is feeling emotions for the first time. Um, that is just taken straight from the series in, in my eye. And yeah, that is uh, the panel with just the blood and his hand holding those files. Like, that is gut punching. It says mm. a lot with no words at all. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, regardless of our thoughts previously on Prime versus Mirror, this guy ain't the Prime data. No, yeah. <laughs> Ruthless. Yeah, that was chilling. Well, and then it's like, you know, even later, it's like he's so cold and it's like, you know, Prime Data is is a machine. He's an android, you know, so he doesn't have emotion. But this is like extra cold. I succeeded mm-hmm. in locating the target. Like who speaks like that? That is cold. That's brutal. That's harsh, you know, and the, just, yeah, a big distinction with what we would assume. It just is very stark. Yeah, definitely. So I guess, uh, man, I, I'm not sure how to do this. I'd say probably overall uh, our thoughts on the A story and overall our thoughts on the B story, if that makes sense. Um, so Amy, why don't you go first and kind of give us your final thoughts and maybe a rating and or ratings? I don't know if we want to separate it or just overall. I'm not sure. Okay. Go with what feels right. All right. <laughs> Um, so for the A plot, I, like I said, I started out a little confused, but then man, and I loved reading them just one right after another. If I would have had to have wait, it would have just been terrible. So I liked getting the whole story, um, and seeing it all at once. Um, so I liked that aspect of doing it this way. I, like I said, the dialogue, especially on the ones I talked about, is just it just takes me back to TNG. I totally love it. Feels like a series, um, like an episode out of the series. Just really, really cool. I like the little hints at the beginning where it's like, "Hey, it's mirror. There's a beard. Hey, we're gonna see the security tapes. Hey, that's the mirror, Picard and Riker. Like it, you know, is so cool. And then. Then we get this whole plot 
unfurling that's like, okay, they're going to get the Enterprise D and they're going to, you know, go back and forth between the universes, which I think is so Discovery-esque. I just loved it. And um, I thought the story was just overall very interesting. Um, the artwork, you know, that I talked about, I really liked. Some of it was, it threw me for a loop, going from different artists to artists with each episode. But again, I just sort of chalk that up to me not reading comics quite a bit. So, I mean, I got over it and stuff like that. So, um, this is a continuation from the last ones that we saw. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So, it's still the same story. Um, they seem a little disjoint because I thought I was, like I said, I was going to see more of the uh, mirror and like more of the Picard taking over things. I guess that's sort of what it was. I I don't know. So I'm a little wishy-washy on that, but I for this set of issues, I really, really liked. Um, and it was obviously more comfortable for me because we get our prime universe that we know and love. So um, I would give this, uh, for our story A, um, four out of five Inquisitor Troys. Now for the... Um, the story B, I liked it. The artwork, for sure, like, that's 10 out of 10. The, I, I like J.K. Woodward. Is that who it is? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, the artwork, the, it was amazing. Totally, totally amazing. Um, the storyline, am I right? This is the end? Like, it says end. Yes. Do are they going to continue for that B storyline? I think yes. This is the end. Yeah. Of that. Yeah, I, I think so. Okay, so this is just like a little snippet that's happening, you know, a little bit before. So I think <laughs> that this story B is more similar um, to what I was accustomed with the previous set of issues, the first run. I don't know what do we call these. Yeah, the first the Broken Mirror series. Yeah, the broken mirror. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I like that that was more similar to the broken mirror, that the characters seem mirror more... broken, I'm sorry. <laughs> mirror broken, yeah. Oh, I yeah. kept doing that too. <laughs> so, but the characters seemed more in line with what I remember from that. So I like that. And the art, again, I can't say enough of this art. The illustrations are incredible. So, um, yeah, I like the B. I just didn't know how to read it, but now after this discussion, I'm actually liking it a little bit more. So uh, this, like I said, artwork, illustrations, 10 out of 10, um, but I am going to give this um, three out of four, or three out of five um, old Spocks. Nice. <laughs> Because every you. universe has a different old Spock, so there are all multiple ones out there. Um, I'm going to rate this always one, the two stories together, because I like how they play off of each other. That we have, um, as I mentioned earlier, a chapter followed by a flashback, followed by the next chapter with a flashback. And so they're kind of intertwined with one another, in my opinion. But I thought, yeah, the characters sound just like the characters. 
uh, the various artwork all worked for me. I liked it all. Um, the story was a nice flow. It did feel like an episode. Uh, and if you just read the A story from one issue to the other, I think it would definitely feel like an episode. But I think it added an extra little element to it and having those flashbacks to the alternate universe. Uh, and it's kind of chilling to see Data possibly kill Spock in that uh, in the mirror universe. So I would say that I would give this uh, four out of five falsified messages from Admiral Paris. Ooh, it's a good rating. Yeah, I really enjoyed these as well. I think I'm going to do what Amy did and and rate them separately, even though, you know, I really appreciate the fact that they do work together as one big story. Um, but that's mostly because of the heaps of praise I want to um, heap on the A story, which I thought was really, really great from start to finish. Um the different artwork did throw me off a little at first, but again, once I got into them, I found myself anticipating, Ooh, I wonder what the next artist will do with this. I can't wait to see, you know, that style and how that comes together. So I think that a story, I have to give a five out of five because I really enjoyed it. I thought it had a really good payoff, really interesting, uh, storylines and, Again, just that feeling that you're back in a TNG episode again just gave me the warm fuzzies. I thought that was a lot of fun. The B story, the story itself, I feel like I've said kind of drags in the middle and that kind of bugs me a little bit about it. But it's got a spectacular payoff at the end is and it's very, very chilling and just like gave me the heebie-jeebies at the end. And then add into that the incredible artwork by J.K. Woodward that I really just can't praise enough. I have to give that one, I'd say, four out of five alternate enterprises making up some sort of huge armada that never really comes to pass, thankfully. <laughs> so, Amy, why don't you let us know where we can find you on the network and elsewhere on the Internet? Well, you can find me here on the network. I host uh, Burrow Gray, which is Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. And I do that with my uh, good friends, Justin and Richard. I also host The Edge, which is for our podcast for Star Trek Discovery. And I do that with Patrick Devlin. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is to hang out at the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Well, Dan, it's always great having Amy on the show, and I love the fact that she's gotten into comic books now through Star Trek. I mean, these are her first, uh, uh, broke, Mere Broken was her first ever comic book not just star trek comic, but any comic book and now we got her on this series of through the mirror yeah it's always fun i love introducing people to new mediums and especially new ways to take in star trek stories so you know i don't know that this will be a huge you know if she'll want to read every every issue of spider-man or something like that going forward but she'll probably be like me where she reads star trek comics because i mean Come on, more Star Trek. That's so great. <laughs> right. And then more listening to literary treks to hear what we say about those comics. Exactly. And more coming on literary treks to share her thoughts with us, too. So that's always fun. <laughs> yes. 
Well, it's been fun talking about cross-promotional hosting across the network today, but it's not the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. I wouldn't say it's totally different, but I would say there's some difference to it. Uh yeah, I did see some elements that reminded me of the Trouble with Troubles. And yeah, you know, certainly I'm not in a piece of the action. I can see that too. It does have that comedy element, just like those episodes do. But I think this is, this takes it a little further and is a little more mm. slapstick. Uh, yeah, than very slapstick. So, um, but again, there's certain tones and certain elements that do remind me of those other, those other episodes. So, Warp 5. I do want to mention also that uh, just something that this, this came up when I was working on Nights of the Living Dead. George Romero hated the word zombie and didn't think of his creatures as zombies. But, um, yes. And, and it's one of the reasons why there's only some overlap between what we saw in Nights of the Living Dead and everything you just described from, from West African and, and Caribbean folklore. Because of that, the, 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 the two, basically, you kind of got you know, undead peanut butter and zombie chocolate, and you wound up with what everybody now thinks of as zombies. Meta Trex. Just imagine the worst case scenario that could happen, and, and look at all the bad things that have happened in history, and then you realize, hey, even if the if the worst possible scenario unfolds, that's not too bad in the grand scheme of things right here in the present. I was going to say, some people read Marcus Aurelius, Riker goes to the holodeck. The 602 Club. I, I definitely agree. I thought that the writer did a great job of portraying Han. And Han's a hard character to nail down because mm-hmm. I think he I think it was really hit and miss in the old legend stuff with Han. There were some books that really glorified him as a character and tried to turn him into something that he wasn't. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. And if you're not an Apple user, we got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and in most third-party apps. And, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can help us out by becoming a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all of the details. Perks can include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, and those are all available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all of those details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show or anything Star Trek, and you can join that conversation in the Babel Conference. It's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and it will come right to us. And you can also find the network on Twitter, 
at Trek FM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can also find us on our Goodreads group where we have bookshelves with all of our previously covered books, as well as the currently reading section so you can know what is coming up for future shows. Plus, there are great conversations happening about all of the books and comics that make up the Star Trek literary universe. Just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads and click Join Group. We'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Grozier, Brandon Shamutala, Justin Ozer, and Jeffrey Harlan for their support of the Trek FM network and for being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. Now, Bruce, when you're not wandering down a corridor wondering if that guy who walked by with the goatee really was good old Jonesy, where can we find you? Well, you can find me shaving my face every morning in the bathroom or you can find me on twitter at admiral underscore rex and you can find me on the star wars report podcast talking about of course star wars and you can always find me in the babel conference and dan when you're not trying to grow a goatee and being upset about broccoli where can people find you (laughs) it's just so green and i can't grow facial hair ah well, when I'm not stressing about that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I have a YouTube channel where I talk mostly about Star Trek, and that's at youtube.com slash Productions. You can find me on facebook.com slash Productions, And of course, like all the other great hosts on Trek FM, in the Babel Conference. Well, thank you all so much for listening, and until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.